Well, God said to Solomon, ask for whatever you want me to give you. I was about five years old when I heard words that were very similar to these ones, but they didn't come from God. They came from my granddad. I was in a uh, a shopping center with my brother, our dad and our granddad when he looked at us and said, go find any toy you'd like to play with and I'll buy it for you. But I'm only buying you one. So be wise about what you choose. I mean, those are the words that every five-year-old craves to hear. I couldn't believe it. I mean, this only happened in dreams. This couldn't be real. But it was. And five-year-old Jack, in all the excitement bubbling up inside of him, completely panicked. It was too good to be true. I ran up the closest aisle. I grabbed the first okay-looking toy that came to my attention. It was some kind of cheap action figure, a man resembling a wasp or something with really cheap plastic wings. I grabbed it and raced back to Grandad and handed it to him, hoping that the offer hadn't expired. But my brother was nowhere to be seen. My brother was making the wise decision. He heard those same words and did something completely different to me. He began combing the aisles slowly, seeking out the greatest possible toy that he could, just as Grandad had said. And when I realised what he was getting... My whole five-year-old world came crumbling down around me. He didn't bring back a cheap, plastic, easily breakable toy. He brought back a box containing several toys. He brought back a box that had all of my childhood dreams inside of it. He had a box full of the Power Rangers. And not only were all of the Power Rangers in that box, but it also had that gigantic robot they all transform into as well, Megazord. I mean, he was the happiest seven-year-old you'll ever see in your life. Uh, my dad was with us as well, and, and he was petrified. I remember him, he was kind of like slow motion running towards Grandad, being like, No, don't do it. I mean, he was worried that would empty out Grandad's bank account, uh, because Grandad hadn't really thought through what might happen, I think. Uh, but Grandad, in his great generosity, held to his promise, albeit through gritted teeth, and he paid for those toys. My cheap and easily breakable toy... And my brother's really expensive, but amazing toys. We got in the car. I looked down at my little yellow cheap breakable toy, looked over at my brother's. And my brother, by far, made the wiser decision. He picked the creme de la creme of childhood toys, and I chose the worst. Well, this morning we're looking at a king who desires wisdom. He desires wisdom to rule. I don't know what you think about when you hear the word wisdom, but for me, there is a saying that always comes to mind. The saying is, knowledge is recognizing that a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. Now, there's this idea around wisdom, isn't there, of taking knowledge and applying it the right way in different circumstances for a good outcome. And we all want to make wise decisions in life, don't we? We all want to make the right choices, but how do we do it? Is it just by experience or by having heaps of knowledge about how the world works? Well, today we're looking at a king who seeks wisdom. Actually, we're looking at this king for three Sundays, starting with today. We'll be looking at some of the highs and some of the lows of King Solomon's reign in the book of 1 Kings. Will he be a king who throws away wisdom like five-year-old me in the toy shop? Or will he be the king 
who shows real wisdom. If you don't know Solomon well, there are a few things to note about him. The first is that Solomon had wealth coming out of his ears. There was no king that had his kind of wealth in his lifetime. He was in the kind of, you know, billions of dollars a year category. He was rich. The second thing is that Solomon is recognized as the wisest king to have lived, which is what we're looking at today. Now, the book of 1 Kings, where we find the story of Solomon, uh, it's actually a pretty epic book. It recounts the rise and the fall of Israel's kings, uh, including God's judgment on the Israelites as they're taken into exile by the Babylonian nations and Jerusalem is left in ruins because of their rebellion against God. It's a book actually written for those Israelites who were in exile. The first two chapters of 1 Kings show a very brutal and violent rise to the throne for King Solomon as he kills those who threaten his reign and who his father David told him to kill as well. But then he even goes a step further than what his father commanded. Solomon even kills his own brother. It's a really brutal couple of opening chapters. But today, in chapter 3, with his throne firmly under him, God says to Solomon, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And uh, Solomon replies to God and asks for wisdom. Today we'll be looking at this wisdom. Firstly, at seeking wisdom in the wrong places. And secondly, at seeking wisdom in the right place. There should be an outline in the notes section uh, for you to follow along with as well. And point one should say, Seeking wisdom in the wrong places. 1 Kings chapter 3 verse 1 to 4 has some pretty positive things to say about Solomon. In verse 3 we're told that Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David. He's presented as someone who seeks to be devoted in his service to God as his father taught him. We're also told in verse 4 that Solomon offered 1,000 burnt sacrifices to God in Gibeon. He is a king who sought to worship God in abundance. And those are some pretty positive reflections on Solomon, aren't they? But, as we read even in verse 1, the way Solomon is referred to is in an entirely positive way. See, Solomon is a king who is actually falling for the trick of seeking wisdom in the wrong places. In verse 1, we're told that Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, by marrying his daughter. Uh, On the surface level, this seems reasonable enough, doesn't it? I mean, different nations form alliances all the time. And in ancient times, this was one way to secure security and peace between otherwise rival nations. It would seem like the right choice to make, wouldn't it? And Egypt was on Israel's border, so why not make peace with them? But if you've spent any time reading through books like Deuteronomy, you'll know that this isn't what God wanted for the Israelites. In Deuteronomy 7, God warns the Israelites against marrying those foreigners who might turn the Israelites away from God to idolatry. If they do marry foreigners and turn to idolatry, they face the consequences of God's judgment against them. But Solomon has allied himself to a nation who follows false gods and by doing so has opened Israel's borders up to the danger of idols, of turning away from following God. doesn't really seem like a wise decision. 
we also find out that Solomon and all the Israelites are sacrificing in the high places in verses 2 to 4. Now in Deuteronomy 12, God commands the Israelites to destroy completely all the places on the high mountains, on the hills, under every spreading tree, where the nations you are dispossessing worship their gods. But instead of destroying high places, Solomon and the Israelites are sacrificing at them. The reason we're given is that there wasn't a temple for them to sacrifice at, but still, the choice to sacrifice in high places resembles how the nations around them are seeking to worship their gods and not the Israelite God, the one God. Solomon and the Israelites are looking around them at the nations and are beginning to resemble what they think is wise, but is actually against how God has told them to live. They are getting distracted from following God. I I heard a story from a friend once about when he'd been at school. He was watching a boy from across the schoolyard walking over to a bin and he had a delicious donut that he was unwrapping uh, from some plastic in his hand. Uh, As the boy got closer to the bin, he had this really contented look on his face as he was, I'm sure, just imagining that first delicious bite of his chocolate donut. Eyes lit with all the promises of culinary delight, he got closer to the bin, but something happened. Somehow, he got distracted by something on the way over, and disaster hit. So he finished unwrapping his donut, licking his lips in, an- in anticipation, and he threw the donut straight into the bin. In misery, he looked down at his hand, and all that was left was that crinkled bit of paper that he'd really meant to put in the bin. It's a bit of a silly story, and it may have thrown in a few embellishments in there, but in these first four verses, what we see Solomon doing greatly resembles that boy at school. Solomon is at risk of failing as Israel's king before he has even started, by being distracted by the wisdom of the nations around him, and discarding God when he should have been discarding the nations. So we read these verses, and we feel quite uncomfortable It's like watching the boy at school walking along and going to throw away the wrong thing. Uh, We kind of want to, to shout out at Solomon and the Israelites, don't we? To just watch out. This isn't what the king of Israel should be doing. Solomon should be leading the Israelites to God, not away from him to the other nations. But it's easy for us reading this and understanding some of Deuteronomy to see what Solomon uh, is doing is, is actually wrong. It's not the wise thing. But when we look around us at the world that we live in, how do we know that we aren't making decisions like that one as well? How do we know that we aren't making decisions that uh, might seem right to us in the moment, but are ultimately decisions that aren't wise but foolish? How do we recognize true wisdom when we look around us and how do we recognize folly? Well, King Solomon receives a visitor at night in Gibeon and he finds wisdom in the right place. Point two, seeking wisdom in the right place. What do you think you would ask for if you were in Solomon's position and God appeared to you and said, ask for whatever you want me to give you? It's a big question. I think I would expect Solomon to ask for wealth or security or for the death of his enemies, political power. And all of these things would be helpful for a king early on in their reign, wouldn't they? All of these things seem wise. 
But Solomon doesn't ask for any of those things. Instead, he, he seeks wisdom where he should have been seeking wisdom from the very start. Solomon says to God in verse 9, Give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? And God is pleased. God says to Solomon, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. But then goes on. he goes on. God says, Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honour, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. It's an incredible promise, isn't it? God is very pleased with what Solomon has asked him. But why is God so pleased with Solomon's response when Solomon asks for a discerning heart, or literally a, a listening heart? Well, the answer lies in the fact that Solomon was seeking wisdom in the right place and no longer seeking wisdom in the wrong places. In another book of the Bible, in Proverbs verse 9, which is known as wisdom literature in the Bible, we're told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. See, in the Bible, wisdom is tied up in who God is and also in what our response to him is. The idea of fearing the Lord may sound kind of, well, you know, terrifying, because fear is not generally a good thing, is it? But for the Israelites, the idea of fearing the Lord meant to recognize both the awesome power and holiness of the God who was creator of the entire universe, and to embrace this God in love and obedience. You see, before the Israelites were in the promised land with Solomon as their king, this was ages before Solomon, they were slaves in Egypt, facing incredible oppression and hardship. But God saved them. He saved them from slavery. And the Israelites then were brought to the foot of a place called Mount Sinai. And it's here that Moses says to them in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 12, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you except to fear the Lord your God by walking in all his ways, to love him and to worship the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul? What we see here is that fear of the Lord translates to walking in obedience and love of the creator God who rescues and loves his people. Fear of the Lord means pursuing relationship with the God who is creator of all. It's by seeking to walk in relationship with God in response to who God is that true wisdom is found. True wisdom is living God's way in God's world. True wisdom is living God's way in God's world. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? If God made the world, then it reasons that he is the one with the understanding of how we should live in it. In Proverbs 3.19, we hear that by wisdom the Lord laid the foundations of the earth. And we're also told that wisdom is something to listen to in Proverbs 8 verse 1. In verse 6 of that chapter, wisdom says, Listen, 
for I have trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. So when Solomon is asking for a listening heart in order to govern God's people by discerning what is right and wrong, Solomon is asking to be able to hear God's wisdom in order to rule God's way in God's world over God's people. Notice how Solomon comes before God in verses 6 to 8. Solomon recognizes that he is only king because God has put him there in kindness to Solomon's father, David. In verses 7 to 8, Solomon describes himself as a child who does not know how to carry out his duties before a people who are too numerous to count or number. Solomon comes before God in great humility, recognizing his need for God's wisdom, not his own wisdom, not the wisdom of the world around him, but God's wisdom. Now, God is pleased by what Solomon asks, and he answers his request. Remember what God said to Solomon, I will give you a wise and discerning heart. Uh, In the very next passage, Solomon actually shows this great wisdom. Two prostitutes are presented before Solomon who both claim that the other woman stole her child because their child has died. Uh, Solomon is able, in his great God-given wisdom, to discern who is telling the lie, who the real mother is, and the child is returned to their mother. And it's after this judgment is passed that all of Israel stand in awe of their king, we're told, because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. I mean, it's this great picture of God's chosen king Solomon leading God's people in justice with the wisdom that God has given him. And as our passage from this morning wraps up and Solomon goes to Jerusalem to sacrifice to God before the ark in worship of him, we're left with the real hope that this king will continue seeking wisdom in the right place from God. But there's a bit more to this passage than just that Solomon being given wisdom to rule God's people. So point three, staying on track. Notice in verse 14 that God says something else to Solomon. God says to Solomon, If you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. God isn't finished with Solomon yet. When I was younger, I went dirt bike riding with my dad and my brother in a place called Port Gawler. Now, we were riding in the sand And I was having some trouble staying on my bike. See, as I was riding through that sand, the back of my bike just kept kind of fishtailing like this and kept flying out from under me. I kept falling off. Now, my dad came over to me and he gave me some great advice. He said, Jack, don't go too slowly. Hold that throttle down, pick up some speed, and you won't skid around so much in the sand. But don't keep holding down or you'll pick up too much speed. And you'll end up hurting yourself. Well, I got back on my bike. I held down the throttle and it worked. I stopped sliding around. I went in a straight line. I went faster and and faster and, and, uh, and faster. As I was getting faster and faster, Dad caught up to me on his much bigger bike in order to try to get me to slow down. But when I looked at him, it was too late. Like literally, my head went that way and my legs went that way. 
and I fell off in a great display of sand, limbs and motorbike with a really sore stomach, sand in my mouth, but luckily with no you know, serious injuries. See, what I'd heard from Dad was the solution to my problem of sliding around and fishtailing and falling off the bike. The solution? Hold down the throttle. That's the solution. What I didn't hear was how I was really meant to be riding that bike so that I would stay on track. And things ended in disaster. What God said to Solomon in verse 12 is that he would give Solomon a wise and discerning heart. And we read that, and that seems to be the solution to Solomon's problem of how to lead the people well. But what God also wanted Solomon to hear, and us, is how to stay on track. See, God calls Solomon to be obedient to him, to do what he says, and not to do what the world around Solomon says. See, God doesn't just want Solomon to display wisdom by discerning what is right and wrong for his people. God wants Solomon to display wisdom by living rightly in his own life too. By making the right decision to follow God and not follow the world around him. God wants Solomon to throw away the influence of the nations around him, not to throw away his relationship with God. That's the real question that we're left with at the end of verse 15 this morning. And it's actually what we'll be coming back to next Sunday and the Sunday after that as well. Does Solomon display true wisdom in his own life by pursuing right relationship with God? Or does he seek wisdom in the wrong places? For now though, as we look at seeking wisdom in the right place with God, well... What does that look like today? Uh, We've said that wisdom means pursuing right relationship with God. That's where true wisdom lies. But what does that mean? I mean, we're in a pretty different situation to Solomon and the Israelites. So what does it look like to live uh, in God's way, in God's world today? Well, Solomon was a king who was supposed to lead his people in their obedience and relationship with God. That was part of the role of Israel's king, to do just that. Well, a bit of a spoiler alert. I hope not too big a spoiler alert, though. Solomon fails at it. He ends up ultimately turning away from God because he stops listening to God's wisdom and doing what it says. And he listens to the wisdom of the world that says he could just ignore God. And the Israelites end up doing it too. The consequences are that they face God's judgment just like we read in Deuteronomy, in letting their hearts be turned to following things that aren't God. There are really two choices laid out in front of us in the Bible. You're either with God or you're against God. There isn't really any in-between ground. Actually, there's none at all. For Solomon, by choosing to listen to the wisdom of the world, like finding security in an alliance with Egypt rather than trusting in God to be his security, by choosing to follow false gods like the Egyptians later on, he is saying to God, I don't need your way, I can choose what's right for myself. The thing is, saying no to living God's ways in God's world means rejecting God's place as ruler of your life. And the penalty, as the Israelites found out, is facing God's anger and facing his judgment. It's a pretty sad ending, really, but 
It's meant to point something out to us that I think is pretty important to understand. We need someone who is truly wise and won't turn from God. We need someone who can lead us to relationship with God. And that person is Jesus, God's own son, who makes that relationship possible with God through his own death on a cross in our place to pay the penalty for our rejection of God. Because the reality for all of us is that just like Solomon, we would fail to follow God if it weren't for Jesus. None of us would ever reach God. None of us would ever be good enough. None of us would ever live rightly in God's way, in God's world. We need Jesus. When Paul the Apostle was writing to the church in Corinth, he had this to say about who Jesus is. Paul writes, It's because of him, meaning God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. What that means is that even though we would all fail at making a relationship with God possible, God has made it possible for us through his son Jesus. Not because of how obedient we can be to God, but because of what Jesus, our king, has done for us. So what is the answer to living wisely in the world? It's to put our trust in Jesus, the one who makes relationship with God possible where we can't because of sin. So with this lens in place of Jesus being God's wisdom to save us and the one who leads us to relationship with God, what does it look like to live wisely? Well, it starts with following Jesus. If you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, please hear that God isn't calling you to be able to earn a relationship with him. The way the world works today, kind of wisdom it says, is that you get out what you put in. That's not the case with God. God wants a relationship with you, and he doesn't want you to earn it through obedience to him. He wants you to respond to his great love for you by putting your trust in his son Jesus, who is the only one who gives true life by leading you to God. So if you're tuning in today and you have questions about who Jesus is and what this looks like, please click on that connect link. And we'd love to chat to you about what that means. The true wisdom starts with following Jesus, who leads us to relationship with our creator. Relationship with God, who loves us and rescues us from sin. Secondly, like for Solomon, don't look for wisdom in the wrong places. Don't look for wisdom in the wrong places. Like Solomon and the Israelites, we're surrounded by voices today, aren't we, that tell us what are right choices to make. You know, drive past most billboards and they basically say, this is what you really need in life. It might be a car, a holiday, clothes, a house, a boat, a school. These are all things that will make you happy in life, according to those billboards. They're things that could uh, give you security or they're things that will make uh, people respect you more or give you more joy or maybe set your child up for life because of a good education, or make you feel better about yourself. These are things you really need to get ahead in life. Well, the thing about worldly wisdom is that it can feel really good and can actually sound like it makes a lot of sense and brings fulfillment. I mean, none of those things above are inherently bad things, are they? But worldly wisdom like this is fixated on the things that we see in front of us, and it doesn't see the bigger picture. Because it doesn't consider God 
who is the creator of all and the source of wisdom. By choosing to be fixated on the things in front of us in the world, we ignore the one who created it. We run the risk of living for and loving created things rather than the one who created all. And by doing so, we are choosing the cheap, rubbish, breakable toy that won't satisfy rather than the loving God who offers life. Don't seek wisdom in the wrong places. Seek wisdom in relationship with God. Living in God's ways, in God's world. Thirdly, approach God with the same humility as Solomon, recognizing that we really do need his help and asking for it. Like Solomon recognized that God is the one who gives wisdom. Ask God to help you live a life where he is constantly in your sight, where you don't get distracted from following him. It's a prayer that we can ask over and over again. Living in God's world for him is is a really hard task. There are voices everywhere constantly vying for our attention, so ask God that his voice would be the loudest. But remember that even when we fail at this, which we will, that Jesus is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. We have forgiveness in him. Uh, Fourthly and lastly, as a community... Let's continue pointing one another toward Jesus, the wise king. I'm so excited to be able to go back next week and be able to actually see your faces, not just talk at you through a camera. Well, as a community, as we come back together, let's have our eyes set on Jesus, who is the wise king, who is the reason we exist as a church, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Let's seek the wisdom of God together as a church as we seek to live with our eyes set on Jesus, living in God's ways, in God's world. Next week we're going to continue seeing whether Solomon lives out his wisdom in his own life in obedience to God. But for now, how about I pray that God would help us to pursue wisdom in knowing him and not in listening to the folly of the world around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are creator God, that you're not a distant God, but a relational God, and that you call us to know you and have a relationship with you through your Son. Please give us wisdom to live in this world the way you call us to live, putting you first in our lives. Help us as a church to encourage one another in this and to point each other towards you, knowing that you are a God who gives life. Amen.